Oh my god, guys, it's finally here. Welcome to Open Door Philosophy, where today we are celebrating two years of Open Door Philosophy and our 50th episode. I'm Derek Parsons. I'm Andrew Graziano. And I'm Taylor Jones. I can't believe we have made 50 of these, but here we are. So I thought it would be fun to celebrate by answering your questions and have a little revival of a staple from episodes in 2021, which is the quote quarter. It's coming back, people, at least for this episode. But hey, before we get going, how's it going, guys? I'm great. Just got back into school and finished our second week, so getting back into my routine. Yeah, no complaints here. It's a rainy day makes my joints ache a little bit, which I'm scared of 40 years from now because that seems to be a problem. <laughs> I was say, like, what? <laughs> yeah. Andrew, do we, this, is, this is a problem for people like me, not you. You're <laughs> yeah. in the prime of your life. <laughs> I don't know. I think I need to order some of that, like, blue emu stuff that I see on TV, you know, get started on that now. <laughs> oh, my uh, gosh. Other than that, it's been good. <laughs> Well, all's well in my world. Uh, I'm in the same relative location as Andrew. I hear that it's sunny and lovely where Taylor's at, but it is also cold and rainy here where I'm at. And there's no reason to uh, create an illusion or something for the listeners. It's one in the afternoon and I'm still in my pajamas. (laughs) That's how my day is. It's great. It's great. They're warm and they're comfy and got that expandable waistband for, you know, (laughs) for max comfort. Anyway. I was just going to lead us into the retrospective, but uh, I realized I was going to talk about the goals, but I guess we should. There's no order, man. Whatever you want to do. No, let's do the retrospective. I don't know if you have anything planned for that. Um, I don't really. I was just going to say, like, first of all, it wasn't really planned that our 50th episode would land almost exactly on uh, the date of our very first episode, but nonetheless, that's what's happened. I don't know that Andrew and I had any great long-term vision of of what this would be. I didn't know if we would even get to 50. Who knows? Who knows? But nonetheless, here we are. And that's fantastic. And uh, it's been a lot of fun doing it over the last two years. I don't know, Andrew, is is there anything memorable in the last two years for you? Looking back at the the 50, I guess, 49 other episodes in the catalog a few days ago in preparation for this. And it's crazy how many topics that we've gone over and it it really hasn't felt like 50 episodes to me. Uh, I remember I was, I mean, I, I'm in this same place where we started recording, which I don't record in too much anymore, but it's a little sentimental, to be honest. It definitely doesn't feel like 50 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> We've learned a lot about uh, microphones and editing and voice projection, I guess. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I was sitting in a parking lot going through the Whataburger drive-in line when I think Mr. Parsons texted me about this. Uh, He told me he had just gotten a book on podcasting. Uh, We (laughs) talked about different names for the podcast. Some were pretty catchy, uh, but I'm I'm really happy with the progress so far. Really happy that Taylor agreed to join us for these next 50 plus episodes. (laughs) And I think we're just going to continue to keep peeling back the onions, keep opening more doors it's just going to be a lot of fun. I remember like being on the outside when y'all started the podcast and you would talk about it like and kind of update us. And I could never have expected to be on the podcast. Well, it's the best possible move we could have made. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, you got to take us to the next level, Taylor. It's all on you, really. Oh, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. <laughs> we've, we've, we've got as far as we can go on our own. Spice <laughs> <laughs> it up. We're two grumpy guys, uh, so we need the joy, the joy that Taylor brings. Well, I mean, she's taking a class in existentialism right now, so it's all about yeah, despair yeah. for her. Yeah. No, it's Maybe about at the end- hope. My professor is a very hopeful existentialist. No oh, good. Very good. Hey, Andrew, you mentioned uh, names. What we originally going to name it? I don't know. Yeah. Let me pull that. Let me pull that doc up. Come on, it's got to <laughs> be here somewhere. There's some pretty good ones. I think that the same river twice was the name. same river twice. Yeah. Um, I think we one. were leaning. That was one of our final contenders. We had 
the practical philosophy podcast that that was our really uh, we we that's, yeah that's that's almost what we went with we almost went with that i i think there was another philosophy podcast with that name right that's yeah. where we ended up not using that i also remember we had um the best of all possible podcasts yeah that was a good one <laughs> yeah that was a good one but i didn't think everyone would yeah, yeah. people not familiar <laughs> with philosophy would get it and they think like we're super arrogant or something yeah. <laughs> so that yeah. comes from a leibniz quote uh, that we live in the best of possible mm-hmm. worlds that one was good oh i found it <laughs> here we go okay y'all ready so ready. oh my gosh so the name of our podcast could have been any of these possibilities. Here we go. Something rather than nothing. Yeah. The best of all possible podcasts. Uh, the same river twice. Here's a little Kierkegaard nod. Uh, understood backward, living forward. Um, oh my gosh, this is so funny. It would have. It's Camus. Invincible <laughs> summer. <laughs> that would have been a super edgy podcast for sure. <laughs> Hi everyone, welcome to the Invincible Summer. <laughs> um, a likely union? <laughs> <Where did I> go? <laughs> that sounds like a marriage podcast. Yeah, it does. It does. Oh my gosh! And then the last one is the Practical Philosophy yeah. Podcast. Okay, good stuff. I think we made a good decision. I think we made a good decision. Yes. <laughs> what do you think, Taylor? I agree. I like open door philosophy. Yeah. Like it's a good balance of everything. Well, we've gone through 50 episodes. I don't know what's on the horizon for the next 50. Anyone have any ideas? Do we have any goals? What do we want to accomplish? What do you think? This is, this is turning into like a, uh, what do they call it? Yeah. Those, um, you know, like a board meetings or whatever. They set goals for the next year. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Those are really horrible meetings, by the way. I'm sorry we're doing this now. No, I mean, uh, (laughs) It's a behind the scenes, but there's uh, a behind the scenes without the yelling at each other, which is a common, you know, common trend. I think it'd be super cool. Episode 100, we have merchandise. I think like a shirt or a, a mug that I think that would be super cool. I Merch think, would be cool. Yeah. Merch would be very cool. Hmm. What else? I don't know. Anyone like you'd really want to have on the uh, on the show, like for an interview? Yeah, there's a few I don't want to give those away to other podcasts. <laughs> uh, no, it's like, it's like the Cold War here. <laughs> well, you know, I think someone I would love to have on, just because I know it would, uh, I think it would mean a lot to you, would be the, this Nigel Warburton character. Because oh my I gosh. remember That'd back in my old day, uh, you were talking about him when I was like a junior and taking. Uh, a theory of knowledge class with you and I, I can remember that so I think that'd be super special and I think that'd be great oh that's so thoughtful Andrew I don't know we're just having a good time doing it mm-hmm. yeah I yeah. think it'd be cool to look at philosophy outside of like a strictly academic philosophy sense like philosophy in literature and to look at how it develops in other mediums well, that's kind of like one of our questions we have for today. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that would be fun to do. You know, we always talk about methodology and like, how do you present philosophy, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that would be pretty cool to look at movies or books mm-hmm. or poetry or things that have maybe even inspired philosophy or, I don't know. Yeah, that's a cool idea. Well, the, the funny thing is after 50 episodes, we've not at all run out of things to talk about. <laughs> I don't know what that says about us, but I'm just like, man, this could just go on forever. No, for sure. I remember that was a original problem that I was worried about, that we would do Socrates to Foucault. That'd be 25 episodes or so. Hit the Eastern tradition stuff for five or six episodes and call it a series. You're like, we've run out of topics. <laughs> yeah. Nope. Not yet. Well, Okay. Well, you guys alluded to it in the in the last episode. I guess it's time we talk about it. You both refer to me as Mr. Parsons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know what to say about that. I, I'm fine with it. Uh, are you okay with it? Would it be weird to say, here, just try it out. Just try out my name. Like, no. Sounds like a swear word. No, no, no. You, you, yeah. <laughs> That's no, no, like, no offense to your name, of course. But, uh, no, of course, of course. It's odd. No, g- give it a try. Uh, be like, uh, pretend like I'm not here and you're talking to Taylor. 
<laughs> I don't know if I can do it. No, you can um, do it. I wonder how Derek is doing. <laughs> All right, your turn, Taylor. I come up with a sentence that uses my name. I don't know if I could ever call you by your first name. That just. Yeah. What so are you getting ready to? You got to do it. It's a thought experiment. <laughs> um, I don't know what to say. Um, I guess I'll just give Derek a call. Mm-mm. It's not right. <laughs> yeah, it feels yeah. weird, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Well, what would you prefer us to call you? Oh, Parsons is totally fine. I was thinking about it the other day. I was like, very few people in my life actually call me Derek. Because, really? like, mm-hmm. you know, all these uh, students I work with, of course, call me Mr. Parsons or Parsons. Most of the people I work with, like adults, they call me the same. Oh. You know, yeah. Kirsten has cute little pet names for me, like <laughs> Sweetie. Um, my yeah. kids call me Dad. You know, like, there's not a lot of people that actually refer to me as Derek. I think my... Even my brother calls me, like, Hey, Big Brother, you know, so... Aww. My favorite of your nicknames is Chainsaw, personally. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, that, that'll, that'll be episode 100. What? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's that's anyway. Gosh, that's yeah. Let's move on. This is enough about me. <laughs> but uh, before we get to the listener questions, we do want to let you guys know that coming up is uh, we're going to start a new series on Eastern philosophy. We're excited about that. It's going to be a four-part series. We're going to do our best with it. We've got Taoism, Confucianism, Hinduism, and Buddhism. And I think other than Taoism, we all just kind of have peripheral knowledge of those areas. So it'll be fun for us to dig into it and uh, do our best to present it to you. So hopefully you'll be excited about some Eastern philosophy. It's about time we get to that. I think for like the last two years, it was like, you need to do something on Eastern philosophy. It's two years later and we're still here. In that episode, Ideas Notes, it's about the Tao. Um, And I think we did episode 17 on the Tao too. We did do one episode on the Tao. Yeah, the Tao to Surely not enough. Certainly not enough. It's going to be a great series. Super excited for that. You could probably have a whole podcast on the Tao Te Ching with how much there is to just break down, (laughs) go poem by poem. I mean, I've thought about like, uh, geez, I could do a, uh, we could do like a six part series on the Tao Te Ching (laughs) and then people would stop listening. (laughs) Like my students. Well, all right, guys. Thank you to everyone, first of all, who sent in questions. We couldn't get to them all, but we've selected some we think would be really good for discussion. And it's a lot of fun. It's the closest thing we we ever get to getting interviewed. So it's like, we're in an interview. This will be good. So anyway, we're going to start off. We've got six. So we're going to start off here with this first one. And it's from Brooklyn. Thank you, Brooklyn, for your question. It asks, what got you interested in philosophy? Taylor, why don't you go first? I know that I think we recently asked you this, but mm-hmm. let's let you start off with it. Yeah. Okay. So being an IB was prob- was my first exposure to philosophy, and I took it more out of necessity at first to fulfill my course requirements of like having a group six or an elective credit, and I took both years at the same time. So I was in double philosophy, but just coincidentally, I loved it. So... I guess IB is really what got me here. Well, story is a bit complicated. It makes for good content. Yeah. What got me interested in philosophy? I think that, honestly, what sparked it all was when I was uh, a younger younger guy. I think what's really cool about being a Catholic is there's a lot of philosophy that you kind of, I mean, there's, there's just a ton of philosophy wrapped up in that. That especially, I think Catholicism has worked on for a very long time, and so a lot of um, early developmental stuff in terms of uh, we have these things called CCD, which is basically like faith formation classes that you have to take when you're a young kid, and a lot of a lot of philosophies wrapped up in there. So I think that definitely sparked the interest. I had a lot of questions when it came to religion. I think much like Mr. Parsons, that was something I think we bonded over early on or something that I felt that I could relate to in him when I 
he told me about that. So that really sparked the interest. That's when I started having a lot of questions, started reading a lot of stuff. And I think that's the interest. That's where the interest began. It could help me think about the world, think about these answers to questions uh, that I had from my first philosophical problem, which was uh, my faith. Hmm. Well, unlike Andrew, I grew up Church of Christ, and <laughs> oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, I did. Huh. You know, and so for the old school Church of Christers out there, uh, you know, philosophy was actually to be avoided. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we come from the uh, the know nothing tradition, uh, where uh, the less you know, the the more pure you are, or some silliness like that. Anyway, yeah. So for me, um, probably like. Every person, honestly, my mid to late teens started thinking about existential questions. I think that's just a normal human thing. Started thinking about why I'm here, what my purpose is, what meaning is. And I, I read a lot of poetry back then. And a lot of the poetry I read was was uh, philosophically oriented. It's kind of dealing with the same types of questions. I really enjoyed the British romantics, which is probably no surprise if you've listened to our podcast long enough. And then, you know, in my in my 20s, I went to college to be a minister, and that's not what I ended up doing, obviously. And some of that inspired what people like to call a crisis of faith. And for about the next 15 years or so, I just weaved in and out of being a, a believer, to being an agnostic, to believing, being an atheist, to going back to being a believer, and just... I could just never square all those big questions that come with religion. So finally, I don't know how old I was, I finally decided to get serious about some resources and I really started diving pretty deeply into books that address those types of questions and eventually led me to philosophy and I've never turned back. So that's how I got to philosophy. But a good yeah. follow-up question might be, oh wait, you got something to say, Andrew? No, I mean, that's, that's the story that uh, I remember hearing think we might have asked you about that and and the first time that you're teaching that philosophy class and that was a very uh impactful story to me so uh, I, i'm sure someone else is gonna get that too yeah if you're a person of any faith uh, religious faith i mean if you don't at some point grapple with those contradictions that are inherent within it then i don't think you're thinking so i don't know maybe it's not fair but anyhow okay so a fun follow-up might follow-up question might be, well, we all got into philosophy, yet we are still here. <laughs> so what's kept you in philosophy? I think my favorite thing, or what really piqued my interest, was that I'm able to almost step outside myself in my own background mm. and thoughts when I read a work of philosophy and to see through somebody else's perspective as much as I possibly can, because of course you can't escape your own consciousness. I think we all probably know that, but as much as I can, it helps me step outside of that and to see the world a different way than I do inherently. And then that started to kind of change my perspectives or expand them. And I really liked that. It's like Nagel's the view from nowhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's what I'm reading right now. I think there's a big part of me that uh, really hates philosophy. <laughs> uh, I mean, a, a big part of myself. Philosophy's hard to read. It's uh, it's yeah. not fun to read, especially. It's tough to grapple with. You know, you could be reading a great novel, but instead you're reading some dry text. But I mean, a, a reason that I stick with it, have stuck with it, is just because of those reasons. It's really uh, kind of developmental for me. I think that. I've become a better thinker, become a better, I don't want to say a better human, but I appreciate that I can develop my capacities as a thinker more. I mean, these people who are philosophers have thought about pretty much unanswered questions, I would say. And I mean, they're very, very intelligent people. And so I don't even, I think I am at least humble enough to know that I'm not even as smart as probably the dumbest philosopher that I've read. Mm -hmm. And that fact, you know, is, is uh, good for me in the sense that I have a lot to learn and 
that fact reminds me that if I just keep reading, I'll just keep learning and developing myself. So I think there's a developmental aspect in why I keep doing philosophy, why I keep reading it a lot. Mm. Well, I echo what both of you said. I think the thing that's exciting for me, the thing I like about it is, well, kind of like Andrew said, yeah, some of the philosophy that you read is, is challenging to read. And I kind of like that, which is weird, I guess. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's weird. Maybe it's not. <laughs> but I kind of like the challenge of it. You know, Andrew, a guy like you, I think, gosh, you know, it's like 830 at night or something. I'm like, <laughs> gosh, I could be reading a, a nice Stephen King novel or something. And, and, I, and I do that too. But no, instead, I'm like moving page by page slowly through this text because it's hard to think about, especially at 830 at night. Anyway, I guess the thing I really like about it too is it's it's an entire world, right? Like you begin learning all these philosophers, you begin learning their theories, and you see the interconnected nature of all of them. And you end up like that that meme with the guy with the strings all over the wall, and he's looking <laughs> crazy, he's got a cigarette in his hand, and he's trying to show you all the connections of everything. And the interconnected nature of, of all of philosophy is just fascinating to me. And also it's endless. Like there's so much philosophy. I look at all the books in my office and I've read only maybe half of them and there's a lot of them in there. And I'm just kind of, like Andrew said, humbled by all this knowledge that has come before me. And it's exciting, the prospect of trying to at least come closer to some sense of truth through that particular medium of philosophy is something that's just engaging for me. It really speaks to me. I think an aspect too that you're you're hinting on that I've been thinking about a little bit lately is is uh, it, both you and Taylor mentioned this I think but um, philosophy has been very impactful to the world um, and so understanding the world that that we live in it's important to understand what gave it its foundation. Pretty sure I mentioned this on a few podcasts ago. Supreme Court, yeah, favorite books of 2022. I uh, mentioned this quote by um, Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr., I think, who was a very, very influential Supreme Court justice known as the Great Dissenter. He has this great little, short little piece of writing called The Path of the Law. It's not really important what it's about, but he has this great line in there that says, the world has been impacted more by Kant than by Napoleon. And I think that's true, especially in the legal system, which is impactful to everybody, but especially people like Freud, people we wouldn't even think about, that Freud and the postmodernists have had a tremendous impact on the world. And so if, if we want to understand how the world became what it's like, understand the world, as Taylor is saying, better, this, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful way to understand from first principles, too. One thing that I did also really like was seeing as we studied more in depth into history, especially in the 20th century, how big historical events influenced philosophy. And so we saw like a huge shift in the way that people even approached the world and then how that in turn impacted history. So seeing the ebb and flow between historical movements and events and all of these things and the way that people fundamentally see themselves and their place in the world was really interesting because it just made everything make so much more sense when you see how people are reacting and then in turn acting just brought everything together for me. Yeah. If history isn't reacting to what current thought is, then current thought is reacting to what's going on historically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They go hand in hand. It's, it is really beautiful. So, this comes from Finlay, who asks, what is wisdom? Well, I've got my pat answer. What do you think, Taylor? Oh, no. I mean, that's like asking, what is philosophy? Yeah. I think I would say, just like in a general idea, putting knowledge into perspective, Mm. or like knowledge situated in context. So, understanding not only facts, but understanding how those facts impact things and just like how knowledge exists in the world. Yeah. So I love this question because like on day one of, of class, we, we talk about this. The word philosophy in Greek translates to love of wisdom. 
So we can kind of figure out what love is. I mean, there's all kinds of different loves in Greek, but like generally you're affectionate towards a thing. So you're affectionate towards wisdom. Well, okay, great. So what is wisdom? And, you know, we have a good time kicking that question around. So my kind of stab at it is, well, it actually makes me, wisdom is like what we ought to know, (laughs) which sounds like, you know, common sense or something. But obviously, wisdom is not common sense. It probably goes deeper than that. And so I actually like to reorient that and ask, how does wisdom differ from just knowledge? Like if someone has knowledge of something, like say Andrew has knowledge of philosophy, he has a a great deal of, well, information, and he synthesized that information to something that is originally his and so that's that's knowledge of philosophy. Is is wisdom something different than knowledge, or is it a type of knowledge? Plato talks a little bit about this in in book f- near the end of book five in the Republic, when he's talking about uh, philosophy. He says knowledge just something having information about a thing that's true, whereas opinion is um, about things that we don't know are true in whether we uh information that we have about things that we are unsure of which means that it's not knowledge for plato i think wisdom can kind of uh, run the balance between the two but i think wisdom is uh, i agree it's it's something good to have it's something like you were saying it's it's a virtue yeah i was going to bring that up too when i think about it i mean here's a resolution for me actually it's not for what I think about it. If I if I think that it's the truth, then it's the truth for me. So I'm just going to say wisdom is. That's a much better thing for me to say. Wisdom is an excellence in, and I think, a methodology of thinking or acting in the world, thinking about decisions. It's information about thinking about decisions, actions. That's what I think wisdom is. And uh, that's straight from book six of Aristotle, Phronesis. Yeah, when you mentioned virtues, I thought of the Stoics. Mm-hmm. And so it's one of the four cardinal virtues, but I've often heard it described as practical wisdom rather than just wisdom. And so for the Stoics, it's basically knowing what the right thing is to do in any particular situation. Mm-hmm. Which I think makes sense. They, they stole that from Aristotle, well, which doesn't course. really matter. <laughs> but it's really quite interesting because... For Aristotle, practical wisdom, wisdom is, is just about being able to act virtuously, having the knowledge or, or really having the information to act virtuously in any moment, in any situation, at any time, at any place. And I think there's a lot of, a lot of merit to that. I mean, you can have wisdom about taking a math test or thinking about math. You can have wisdom about uh, repairing a car. You can have wisdom reading a book of philosophy, too. Wisdom is broad, and uh, thinking that that's like a virtue wouldn't surprise me. I think that one thing that separates wisdom from knowledge, at least in my opinion, is the experiential aspect of it, because you can know things and be incredibly removed from them. Like, I can know about math, but that doesn't mean I'm like, any closer to math and you can learn philosophy from a distance and have knowledge of it. But wisdom, I think, takes doing and experiencing firsthand to add a layer of complexity to your knowledge. Hmm. Yeah. And Aristotle would agree with you on that. I think that we become better at the virtues by practicing the virtues, right? And if wisdom is a virtue, then we become better at wisdom by being in situations that force us to, to judge. I don't know. You're the Aristotelian, Andrew. What do you think about that? Well, I think it's it's halfway true. It's it's almost there, but we have this great thing. There could be some debate about the, the action of this too, uh, but there's this great thing that we have called reason. And reason, our development of reason can really bring us to a lot of places and, and allow us to think about a lot of situations and a put ourselves in the shoes of other people and really consider a situation. And so if we develop our reason really, really well, I think there's something to be said about us being able to gain wisdom from uh, rationalizing about a topic, no matter what it is. You know, For instance, 
just this morning, my dad's truck got stuck. We were brainstorming all day about how to get it out of this uh, deep Texas mud <laughs> on a rainy day like today. We'd never done it before. Maybe he had. I'd never done it before. And we built out a great case and, and we, we got it out and it was pretty easy. And so I think that's just uh, an example of a time when our reason can really give us some wisdom. Oh, sure. But what do you think about the whole like practicing and getting better at it? Like if you have to get a truck out of the mud next weekend, yeah, you'll surely be a little better at it. There's merit to it. Yeah. Yeah. Action, habitual action will, uh, as long as it's done well, it will probably make you better. I think there's something to that. All right. We're going to move on to our third question. This question comes from CJ and she asks, have you seen The Good Place and do you recommend any other mainstream movies or TV shows that touch on philosophy? <laughs> That's great. I reference Good Place all the time. I love The Good Place. Uh, it's certainly not what, you know, the critics will say like, it's not philosophy, but it's the closest thing in, in media that's ever come out that like really deals in a direct way with philosophy. Although you can argue how direct. Just this morning, we were talking, we were changing, I mean, get ready for the excitement of my life. We are changing the air filters in the house. And <laughs> I don't know, it was something about like, oh, she asked if I had, you know, run a rag across the top of the door frame because I'm way up high because of the air filters. And I said, well, of course I have. She's like, you did? I'm like, well, I'm telling the truth. I teach moral philosophy. <laughs> and she said, Wait, on The Good Place, didn't they say, like, nobody likes moral philosophers? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's kind of true. No, The Good Place is great. It's such a great entry to philosophy. I have heard I have heard more students reference The Good Place, and that being the way that they heard about Aristotle or the trolley problem or any of these types of things than any other type of movie or whatever since, I guess, The Matrix, which was like 23 years ago or something. But yeah, love the good place. I think it's great. But as to the second part of the question, I don't know. Um, what do you guys have? Movie or TV that references philosophy? Yeah, there's an episode of Young Sheldon, which is a Big Bang Theory knockoff. That uh, Young Sheldon has kind of an existential crisis because he goes into a philosophy class when he's like a ten year old in college. I'm not saying it's good. Just saying it's there. Um, <laughs> Wait, is that the episode? I just watched this with my mom, I think. There's an episode that came out like in season five. I've watched like five episodes of Young Sheldon my entire life. They've all been with my mom. But uh, it's like <laughs> he's tutoring this kid in math and he's trying to explain zero to him. And so the kid yeah, goes through this. Yeah, this kid goes through this explanation of like how zero doesn't exist. And then all of a sudden, young Sheldon just breaks and everything he ever believed <laughs> about mathematics is, has been destroyed because this kid who's just a layman, you know, he doesn't know anything about math. He's being tutored in math, like gave this explanation for why zero doesn't exist and like shook his entire world. Yeah, he ends up talking to his philosophy professor about it. And his philosophy professor <laughs> all of a sudden doesn't believe zero exists. And it's this <laughs> whole mess. Yeah, that's one good example. <laughs> Yeah, there's a there's also a Wittgenstein movie. There's a Socrates movie in Italian for all our Italian listeners. That's fine. I don't know, Taylor. What do you got? I don't think I've seen any show really that talks a whole lot about philosophy, and that's not ever something I would really considered before. But I think it's kind of sad. <laughs> that TV. I mean, most people don't want to be thinking like high order. Yeah. thoughts when they're watching tv sure but it'd be nice if they made more that address philosophical issues i guess maybe the closest i've come is the show a million little things mm -hmm. which talks more about like real life issues and being a person in the world and i think you could say it touches on philosophical concepts of grief and community and what it means to grow and become a person in the face of tragedy yeah, you know, I was thinking like there are a lot of movies and shows that deal with existential type themes or philosophical themes. I think, gosh, it seems like every Pixar movie that comes out has four or five philosophical things within it. 
Like I remember the movie Soul that just came out a year or two mm-hmm. ago, and it's all about the afterlife and meaning on Earth. And I mean, so it doesn't talk about philosophy, but it's very philosophical. Yeah, The Sopranos. It's a great show. Uh, I think that's just very philosophical. Highly recommend. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Oh, I love The Sopranos. It's been years. It's a great show. And Tangled, that's what I what I wrote my philosophy IA on over knowledge. And do you need to experience something to know fully? Oh, yeah. It's kind of like a blind Mary mm-hmm. thought experiment situation with, with the movie yeah. Tangled. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of people mention Christopher Nolan movies like Inception. Gosh, what was that other one? Interstellar, yeah. Interstellar's a good one. Oh, the Batman mm. trilogy, Christopher Nolan, yeah. That's that's, that's <laughs> utilitarianism, the ontology is uh, heavily sure. involved in that, yeah. You know what? Uh, being John Malkovich is a great one. The person, the character becomes, is like inside of John Malkovich. It's really weird. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind or The Truman Show is a great one. Those are kind of older, but they're good. It's a great Italian movie. I, th- I think it's called The Hand of God, which is which is a, a very like Hegelian or um, it's a very good show about becoming. Yeah, it's great. In terms of books, I think The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue touches a lot on philosophical and existential themes about what it means to exist and to be a human. Oh, yeah, because she can't die, right? Morality. Yeah. Yeah, and she's not remembered either, except by one person. Huh. Yeah. Uh, silence by Indo. Holy cow. Yeah. <laughs> that will, like, completely rock your world. Deals with uh, religion and faith and what it means to to forgive. And, whew, oh, I got goosebumps right now. All these books. Gosh, I mean, for me, when I was a teenager, I read Les Miserables. And, you know, that age-old question, like, is it okay to steal a loaf of bread to save the life of your of your niece? Yeah, it's like it starts out, and then uh, Jean Valjean is so morally conflicted throughout the entire rest of the book about what's good, what should he do? Should he protect his factory workers or reveal that he's the Jean Valjean and all of them lose their jobs? And yeah, I used to call Jean Valjean my secular Jesus <laughs> because he's always dealing with all these moral issues, and he's so good. Anyway, there's a great poem by this guy named uh, Fernando Pessoa, who's a Portuguese poet called Tabacaria, uh, which is like a tobacco shop, I guess. It's a really, really shortish poem that's really just very, very moving. There's this uh, great line in it where he says, eat chocolates, little girl, eat chocolates. Believe me, there's no metaphysics in this world other than chocolates. It's a great poem. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) That's great. Well, I don't know how to transition to the next one, but we should probably should because I think we could sit here for 30 minutes and talk about, (laughs) just keep thinking of movies and books. So, uh, so CJ, there's a, there's some recommendations for you to start on. Our next question comes from Michael. Hey, it's a real easy one, guys. Uh, Do we have free will? No problem. I've only been debating it for like 2,000 years. And I don't think we're any closer to the answer, but we'll try. Yeah, I, we, we have free will. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't believe anybody who doesn't believe that. We can talk about that more, but uh, yeah. Total free will, Andrew? Like no. a libertarian free will? So I think that... Uh, there's this really interesting, very influential ta- philosopher on this topic named P.F. Strawson, probably the most famous uh, philosopher on this in the past. And he has this really interesting concept of first-order desires and second-order desires. Cut to the chase, first-order desires, we can be influenced by things such as like where we grow up, the pollutants in the air, how they make us feel, how we dress, et cetera, et cetera. But if we have a voice in our head, telling us, debating these questions, whatever, whatever, whatever. He thinks that that little voice in the head that allows us to have a a little voice in the conversation, that's what's really giving us free will. So I'm kind of in the middle, but I think we have at least some kind of free will. Yeah. I would also say that we have free will and that the implications of not having free will are much more severe or living like we don't have free will than 
if we do, because not having free will almost completely eliminates the idea of moral responsibility. Mm. Because if you live as if everything is predetermined, then you don't have to take responsibility for anything. And then where do we get with morality and ethics? And I think that would also be a really boring way to look at the world as if everything is just predetermined for you and you have no say. Yeah, I'm I'm with both of you. I believe that we have more free will than we don't. I wouldn't say I'm a libertarian free will person, which means basically 100% free will. Certainly, like Andrew said, there are things that influence our lives, both biologically and uh, environmentally, that impact who we are. But also at the same time, we still have choice. Even for those who say uh, we, we don't really have choice, we just have the illusion of choice. Well, that's fine. You can believe that. But if you have the illusion that you have choice, then I suppose you have choice. I'm going to reference uh, one of my favorite philosophers on this topic. That's William James. And he said, mm-hmm. my first act of free will shall be to believe in free will. <laughs> That's kind of where I'm at, you know, like it seems that we have free will. It seems largely that we're in control of our choices. We have impulses that make those choices difficult sometimes, but we have choice and we exercise that choice. And when you say like, oh, geez, I'm a procrastinator. I just didn't get that homework done. No, you made the choice to not get that homework done or whatever other situation you want to use for that. So anyway, that's uh, that's my stance on it. Yeah, I don't I don't have much to say. I'd recommend if anybody's interested, Bernard, I think Bernard Williams has a short little article on if we don't have free will, the moral implications of that. Mm. We, sh- we should do an episode on that. I this is a big topic nowadays, so we should do that in the future. Because there's these big questions surrounding blame, shame, guilt, these emotional feelings that we have with uh, the differing levels of free will. If we don't believe we have free will, why do we feel like it's right to blame someone? And this has mm-hmm. huge implications in bioethics, legal philosophy, mm-hmm. political philosophy, philosophy of love, philosophy of language. I mean, it goes on forever. And so it's just a big topic now, I think, the philosophy of the 21st century, or early 21st century at least, will, will probably be remembered as one that really dealt heavily in, in free will and responsibility. Yeah, okay, this one's really good. Really love this question from Lauren. If you could have a conversation with anyone living or dead, who and why? This was a law school essay question for me. Oh, was it? Yeah. So I'm excited to hear your, your opinions because okay. I have one perfected out. Oh, man. I don't know that I put as much thought as you probably did into your law. Was it at a law school application? Yeah. So this was, was an application? optional essay. Okay. Optional okay. essay, yeah. Well, geez, you're going to be so ready. Okay. So I thought a lot about this. So ultimately, I think if we all got a chance to spend some time with our heroes that we would honestly kind of be let down a little bit, which is kind of pressing, but you know, we're all human and we read these amazing books by people and you know, we put them on these pedestals because this is the smallest window of their lives that we see. But all that to say, there are a couple, one, and this is no surprise to longtime listeners. I'd love to meet Marcus Aurelius, the great Roman Stoic emperor. And then next, <laughs> you know, I get no marks for originality on this one. Uh, Socrates, I'd love to meet Socrates. <laughs> you know, he's the OG. Well, he's not technically the OG, but most people cite him as such. But then if I wanted to be a little more modern and someone who's still alive, it would be fun to meet Daniel Dennett. Like that guy just seems like a fun guy to talk to. Y'all know what I'm saying? Like he looks like Santa Claus. Do you not know who he is, Andrew? No. Oh, really? Oh, it's huge in the field of consciousness. He's an American. He's got this beard. You just got, just Google him real quick. He looks like the the funnest guy you could just hang out with, you know? <laughs> Have a beer and sit around and talk about whatever Daniel didn't wants to talk about because he's so funny. <laughs> I don't even know if he's funny. I don't think he means to be funny. Or maybe he does mean to be funny. I don't know. He's just fun to listen to. So that's my list. There's like so many more. Oh, well, obviously Taylor Swift. So. Oh, God. Duh. Uh, <laughs> Andrew. <laughs> Andrew does not share that sentiment. Oh, man. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. 
man. I mean, y'all could probably guess who I would say very easily. But I think just Simone de Beauvoir is so monumental as a young woman in philosophy. Just being, I mean, it feels so, like the dynamic is very noticeable being in classes of all men. And it would be so cool to talk to someone who was one of the youngest people to graduate and like pass this prestigious exam and like beating all of these men and like fighting for her place in philosophical conversation, I think would be so cool to get her take firsthand on her experiences. Mm, yeah. And of course, Taylor Swift, right, Taylor? Oh, obviously. Obviously. But that doesn't feel like with the amount of people of her fans that she interacts with, I feel like it's almost not out of the range of any conceivable notion. Mm. But Simone de Beauvoir, obviously not possible. Obviously not possible. She is dead. Simone de Beauvoir can't come to the phone right now. <laughs> Why? No. <laughs> <laughs> Even you got that reference, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, I was at my first English assignment ever. We had to watch that video and analyze it. Whatever. Are you it's serious? Just, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. 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 Oh my gosh. All right, Andrew, your turn. Who do you got? All right. So this requires a little bit of background, and I'm presenting this as I did in my law school to a few places. That, so I've mentioned this on this podcast. There's this really influential article by this philosopher named Susan Wolf called Moral Saints, which uh, posits that if there was such a thing as a moral saint who lived in accordance with morality and just did the moral act all of the time, they probably wouldn't want to be someone that we would want to imitate our life by, be friends with, and certainly want, wouldn't want to be like. And so, because of this po position that Wolf advances, I wanted to meet St. Mother Teresa, who's the, I think, the closest thing to a contemporary moral saint, just to see if this hypothesis was true. Mm -hmm. um, I think it'd be super, super cool. Because I think, you know, some kindness or something, such a moral person, I think it'd be very difficult to fake. I think also their happiness, if it was true happiness, so, such otherworldliness would be very difficult to fake. So I think it'd be a really cool experience. Uh, love to meet, love to, I think Anse, uh, Elizabeth Anscombe would also be another cool mm. one. Of course, Socrates. Uh, those would be some cool, I think, some cool people. St. Augustine lately has been really, mm -hmm. really, really. Oh, he'd um, be fabulous. Yeah. Really been, I've been uh, reading very slowly some St. Augustine, and he's just an, an incredible writer. What are you reading? You're reading Confessions or City of God or? We're, uh, Finley and I are reading, not this Finley, we're reading it, uh, trying to do it in the Latin. So that's been a crazy, crazy journey, but it's confessions. Yeah, but it's been beautiful. And I just recently read, it was like five books out of confessions for my classes this past week. And his writing on like his conversion to Christianity and then the last book of Confessions I found were so beautiful and just the way he details everything. I really enjoyed that. Oh, I think it's one of the great works of world literature. I mean, no, I don't. whether you're a philosophy or just interested in literature or just being a human being, <laughs> a knowledgeable human being uh, in the world, uh, Augustine's Confessions is a must. Yeah. Gosh, I don't know. Like the list is long. I only picked three kind of out of a hat. Uh, because there's, there's too many I'd love to talk to. It's many, 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 many. All right, we are going to move on to our final question. This is from Grace. Thank you, Grace, for your question. And it is, are people born with natural artistic skills and talents, or are those learned over time and some are just better than others? I, I got a response, if, unless you want to go, Andrew. I don't care. I have a response, too, so so I don't care. Mine's provocative. 
You go for oh well, that mine's not well, so. Uh, provocative so, is not the right word. Provocative <laughs> is a sexualized word. Right? No, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it like that either. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't mean it like that either. Right, spicy, okay. spicy. Yeah, spicy take. Okay. Yeah, you just do your spicy take. Yeah, uh, I have no doubt in my mind that uh, people are born with natural artistic skills and talents. I, I um, hard stop. Hard stop. Yeah. I don't feel like that's that provocative. Yeah, I don't think it's provocative or it's not terribly yeah. spicy, dude. I I think <laughs> well, okay. I think that it's almost impossible to be a great artist without natural skills and talents that are very rare. Yeah, I thought that would be controversial. I guess it's not. Oh well, I mean, I guess it could be. I guess it is. It's spicy, Andrew. My take is kind of similar. So I think like everyone can become better at things, right? Whether that's art, whether that's sport, whether that's writing, whether that's playing the piano, like everyone can become better at things. Mm -hmm. But one of those mysteries of just being a human or whatever is, or what, no, not or whatever, we're all humans. Um, (laughs) One of the mysteries of being human is that some talent is simply just going to transcend other talent, no matter how much time you put in on the thing. You can practice basketball all your life and you'll never be Michael Jordan, right? Or you can practice the cello for all your life and you'll never be Yo-Yo Ma. There's just, doesn't mean it's not a worthy endeavor to improve yourself on those things. They bring lots of pleasure to your life. But yeah, some people just have it. I don't know really philosophically what to say about that. It's it's a fascinating feature of humanity. That's my take on it. I agree. This question makes me think of Nietzsche, and I'm currently reading Schopenhauer as educator, one of his early essays, where he talks a lot about the human uniqueness Mm. and how powerful that is. And I think we are all born with at least a natural affinity towards something, but that doesn't need to be a negative thing. I think that's what makes us so special is that everyone has different strengths and interests and that like everybody can pursue something different. My natural ability is to make really bad puns and dad jokes. I'm so good at it. <laughs> My daughter audibly groans when I say them to her. <laughs> that's a that's a good skill. It's an art. And it's an art. It's all it can be said. Yeah, you know, we have certain dispositions, we have certain characteristics, we have certain abilities that we're born with. It's just our nature and uh it's like some great musicians they have a uh, perfect pitch. That's a natural gift. Yeah. But the, the great musicians usually have that. The great composers, especially. Mm-hmm. Synesthesia is very common among great composers. Some great artists. Uh, Michelangelo, I think, could supposedly see uh, dimensionality or something. I think in one of his journals, he said that this is, of course, like metaphorical or something, but he said he could see, he could see the, the creature trapped inside of the stone of marble, which is just like, you know, it's something. Yeah, and it was his job to liberate it. Yeah. Well, okay, everyone. It's been a while since we've done it, but it's back, baby. It's the quote corner, so let's head on over. Oh wow, Andrew, this place is uh it's a little it's a little dirty, it's a little dusty, cobwebs and stuff. Yeah, it's it kinda looks sad. Yeah. Yeah, that's too bad. Here, t- Taylor, go open one of those. Go open the curtains and let some light in. Oh, oh God, it's even worse. Okay, well let's let's do this quote corner. So, uh, if anyone is not familiar, the quote corner we take a famous quote. And, well, I don't know if it's famous. We take a quote from philosophy and we uh, think about it, and then we arbitrarily give it a rating on a scale of one to five stars. So, today's quote is: "By three methods, we may learn wisdom." First, by reflection, which is noblest. Second, by imitation, which is easiest. And third, by experience, which is bitterest. And that is from Confucius. So, what do we think, guys? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't feel good enough to, to, to word pick here since it's in translation. Um, <laughs> I did think about that. Which yeah. is fine. I don't, I, like, I don't... 
wisdom has this really like Socratic connotation, I feel like, or, or mm-hmm. at least like Greek connotation in in the Western world. I, I don't know what it'll bring up, but yeah, I mean, the reflection things right there, right? The using the rationale to to reflect and think about things. I think that's great. Doesn't invoke any particular feelings in me personally. I think there's a lot of truth to it, but I think Confucius also has some very, I don't know, more compelling. Yeah, you've read you've read part of his than this one. Analects, right? Yes, yes. Uh, well, for me, I'm going to say, I mean, I like it. Yes, reflection. Yeah, I mean, you know, I thought of this quote, Andrew. I immediately thought what you said. You know, translation issues. Plus, it's also like 2,500 years old. Yeah. You know, like noblest. What exactly does that mean? Wisdom. Yes. But I think for sure, like, you know, living through hard times, which is experience, that would strike me as being the most bitterest. Let's learn. Let's learn our lessons of like what to do and what not to do. And before we actually do the thing and, and learn, learn it the hard way, as the old colloquial saying goes. So, yeah, experience is the bitterest. Sure, if we could all just sit in our armchairs and uh, imagine all these scenarios we'd go in to and through and reflect on them and know what to do when they happen, that would be great. Uh, But that's maybe not fair. You know, there's lots of lessons we can learn from our parents or uh, or other mentors in our lives that can be very helpful and maybe lessen that bitter aspect of experience. Let Let me say something real quick, too. And this is a bit of a reflection. This podcast was started, at least con- conceptually started, during the uh, pandemic, mm. right? I-, I think, Mr. Parsons. That's when we first talked about it. That was a very, very bitter, I think, experience, almost universally, if not universally. And I think there was a lot of mistakes, mm. you know, that a lot of people made. It wasn't an easy time, I think, for anybody. But I think we've all learned a lot from that, from uh, maybe a public safety perspective. Governments, I'm sure, have learned things. But it's, it's uh, f- from the government down to the individual. I think we, we did all pick a little bit of wisdom out of that. It was a mm-hmm. bitter experience. But, you know, this, this podcast has been a two-year almost scrapbook of our, of our growth. It'll continue to be uh, for, for when Taylor comes on too, or I guess Taylor is on, but I think a lot of, a lot of this podcast <laughs> has been the kind of wisdom that we've picked up uh, since that time. So I think this mm. is a really good uh, quote to, to, to bring up. There for a second, I thought you were going to say this podcast has been bitter as well. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm no. glad you didn't. Okay. Well guys, here we go. We'll just go around and say how many stars. So um, start with you and uh, no, start with Taylor. Taylor, how many stars do you give this quote? I'm going to give this quote a 3.5 stars out of five. Oh, going with a point. That's what Andrew does. Okay. Yeah. I was going to give it a four. I'll give the point system to Taylor and I'll just stick with the whole number. So good. Good job, Taylor. You got it. It's yours from now on. <laughs> I remember the first quote quarter, Andrew, you were like, I give this a 4.98. I'm like, yeah. what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Like, we should have talked about this, I guess. <laughs> oh, man. You just should have a one through 1,000 scale at that point. Okay. I'm just, I'm going <laughs> to give this one. It's a solid four for me. I have translation questions, but I like yeah. its sentiment. So there we go. That's it. Hey, quote corner. It's looking good these days. That's about it, everyone. We really thank you for listening and a special shout out to those who submitted questions, even if we weren't able to get to them all. Hey, we'd really love to hear from you. Tell us what you thought of the episode and hit us up with some thoughts and questions on our socials at Twitter and Instagram. And I guess TikTok? I've been, I put two things on there in the last two weeks. It's nothing good. I don't know what I'm doing. But anyway, <laughs> but you can also can also contact us at our email at contact at opendoorphilosophy.com yeah yeah that's this is your favorite it's your favorite part Andrew. my favorite part yeah and um it's kind of sentimental for me gosh uh kevin mcleod 
thank you so much for uh, the use of your music from the past 50 episodes. Super groovy. It's great. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Kevin McLeod. We never met the guy. We should interview him. <laughs> we should interview him. You're like, what are you what are you doing? Why are you making all this music for free? <laughs> we are incredibly grateful. It's good stuff. All right, that's it. Here's to another 50. And remember, whenever your life is in need of some philosophy, the door is always open. See you next time. See ya. Thank you all.